Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is by guest speaker, Dr. Stuart Robinson. Today I want to speak to you about an unpopular subject. Not a very exciting subject. You know, in our nation, in fact, in every Western country these days, the drumbeat of the media, the politicians, people, is all about freedom, our rights. Nobody ever speaks about responsibilities or submission or obedience. And yet every morning when I wake up, and this morning I was up a bit after four o'clock and communicating with our field staff in some of those countries out there, the first thing I do as I open my Bible is I read as a reminder for the day these verses in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And it's verses 12 and 13. And now what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? Don't hear much about that these days. To walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not or whether you understand or appreciate. I am giving you these. You obey them and I'm telling you they will be for your own good. And I read that every morning to set my heart for the day. The matter of obedience. It's not popular today. Medical doctors probably have every right to get a little bit upset with people who don't pay their bills. But they get even more upset with the many people who come to them with their sundry aches and pains and ailments. And the doctor goes to all the trouble of examining them and having some tests done in laboratories and collecting the data on evidence-based medicine. He makes a diagnosis. He writes a prescription. He sends you off to the pharmacy. And there you get your pills or lotions or whatever. And on every packet, there is a very clear instruction how many to take, when to take, how long to take them. And you are given precisely that amount of medication. But it's interesting, the doctors can get upset because surveys consistently show that 90% of all patients that come to them never complete the course of medication. They start out well and then get sick of it and give it up. So we have half-empty bottles in our medicine chests, Oh, we cheat on our diets. The doctor's not around, so we won't worry about what they said regarding nutrition and exercise for our health. We smoke our cigarettes. We never return for checkups at the precise time we were asked to come back. And people then wonder why they remain relatively unwell. A couple of years ago, I conducted a funeral for an excellent Christian gentleman. At a certain time in his life, a little brownish spot developed on his leg. 
those who looked at it advised him that he should really go and have that examined because it could be something serious. Who knows? It might be melanoma. And melanomas can grow rapidly, but he meant to do the checks, but he continued to procrastinate. Next week, next month, or whatever. And of course, his negligence, when he finally did go to have a check, yes, it was melanoma, and further checks revealed it had already metastasized. And so he died. And I conducted his funeral. Delay and disobedience are closely correlated with death, physical death. And the same principles apply to our spiritual health. In the beginning of our human lives, according to the Bible, it was Adam and Eve who received wonderful encouragement and promises from God if they would obey in a certain matter of the fruit of a tree. And of course, we know what they did. They were warned if they did not obey, the result could be absolute consequential disaster. And precisely that has happened. The conflict between obedience and disobedience, between blessing and punishment, is narrated through book after book after book of the Bible. We mentioned Noah before, little Noah. Noah Jr. has come coming into our midst. And you know the story, how God asked Noah to build a ship. He didn't understand. He just got on with it. And for a hundred years, he toiled away to build this huge craft, even though all the other ignorances around him ridiculed him consistently. But of course, there came the fateful day when this new thing appeared called rain. And Noah and his family stepped into the ark. Humanity was saved. Similarly with Abram, God gave him instructions. Abraham did not understand the consequences of the instruction. He just simply obeyed, and through his obedience, he became the father, the progenitor of many nations. The record which we find in the books of Chronicles and the books of Kings in the Old Testament is very clear, that whenever they obey God, things went wonderfully well for them. When they disobeyed, it was absolute disaster. And the issue of obedience is simply summed up by the first king through Saul when God said to him in 1 Samuel 15, to obey is better than sacrifice. No matter what else you're doing in this church, all the good works or playing the music or leading the children's work or shifting the furniture in the house which has been sold or any number of things, the the op shop, wonderful stuff works, okay, but the best thing is obedience. In the New Testament, the same principle is spelled out. Acts 5, 20, no, Acts 5 verse 29, uh, when their lives were uh, threatened by the religious establishment of the day, the apostles, or Peter, 
answered, we must obey God rather than men. That was a pretty bold statement. It could have cost him his life. Because he held to that principle throughout the rest of his life, it did cost him his life. When it comes to the example and the teaching of Jesus, it is obvious that the matter of obedience is hardly a marginal issue. Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, Jesus said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is a foolish man who's built his house on the sand. Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. John fourteen twenty three. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And the very last commandment that Jesus gave to his disciples in the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, as you're going, you make disciples, you baptize them, and you teach them to obey everything that I have taught you. You see, Christianity is not just a matter of belief. It's putting those beliefs into practice. It's us walking the talk, a consistency between our words and our deeds. We, the way in which we live our lives, may be the only Bible that other people read because they're watching us and how we are living. And if we are not consistent, then we are regarded as little more balloons of hot air floating through life, mouthing empty platitudes. Oh, it helps us to feel okay at the point of death, but then what? When you read the Bible, it is not of a God who is remade in our own image. He is the commander. He is to be unquestionably obeyed. And the dominant symbol of our faith, which has been turned and trivialized into jewelry, hanging from around our necks or our ears or our noses or our toes or wherever, is the cross. Instrument of death. The death of Jesus and the death to ourselves, no matter who we are. Total submission is the key to any spiritual growth. When Queen Elizabeth was crowned in 1953, her grandmother, Queen Mary, wrote her a letter of congratulation. And she signed the letter, your loving grandmother and devoted servant. Oh, he's the grandma. <laughs> She'd been the queen herself. And now she's signing herself as your devoted servant. She'd been the wife of King George V. But she understood the privilege of the highest rank of the realm. The key was if the realm was going to survive, there had to be submission to law and obedience. And she was exemplifying that. And when it comes to our submission to King Jesus, it isn't just a blind submission to a higher authority. It's something which is meant for our own benefit. 
Today I came here in a car. When we're in Melbourne, I, I drive a car there. I'm known as someone who looks after the car. It's not my car, it belongs to my wife. My wife also owns our house. My wife owns our bank accounts. In fact, she owns everything. There is a reason for this. Because of the life I live and the ministry in which I'm involved, you can shoot me, you can kill me, you'll get nothing out of me but a bit of stale blood. So it's all in Margaret's name. That, of course, in part explains my relation with and attitude toward her. Unless I remain her good friend, I could be out on the nature strip at night. And I have learned the power of obedience. <laughs> but in the matter of cars, I'm known as someone who looks after the car. We've only ever had one car. We restricted ourselves to one so that more monies could be released for God's work, even though it was often inconvenient. And I've never had any trouble with our cars for a simple reason that I always do what it says to do in the manufacturer's manual. Now, of course, as the owner, I have the right to do whatever I want to with that car. I don't have to put 32 PSI into the tires. That's pretty consuming to go to the garage and play around with the air hoses. Ah, forget that. I'll let the air go out. Don't worry about the rubber. It's better if the car runs on its rims because the rims are even stronger than the rubber. So I'll, I'll let that happen. And when it comes to what you put in the tank, well, gee, petrol's pretty expensive here in Queensland. I think I'll revert to a cheaper fluid. I'll put water in there. Plentily available. And, uh, of course, I mightn't get too far. And when it comes to oil, well, whoever looks under the bonnet anyway, I can have my motor running ever more sweetly by the addition of a little sugar, perhaps. In fact, I've had a vehicle like that when Margaret and I were married. In Wynnum was our wedding reception. And when we came out, it was the commencement of a, a cyclone. The wind had whipped up, the rain was starting to pelt down, and we came out from our wedding banquet, and there all the people surrounded our car for us to take off on our honeymoon. There was a, an initial problem. I could see that the car inside was absolutely crammed with balloons. So I had to get some balloons out even before I could get into the driver's seat. And then... While I was doing that, I get this white stuff all over my special wedding suit because it was raining and what was happening now was, oh, the car had been covered in flour and the flour was now running all over the place. Ah, well, put that aside. I'm a man of great patience. Well, I won't react on any of these things. Got into the car with Margaret and attempted to start the engine. Oh, some happy, happy jokers had put sugar in the petrol. The engine never did restart. In fact, the last journey of that car was being pushed over a cliff. We won't tell the environmentalists about that. <laughs> but if I do not follow the instructions of the manufacturer's manual, you're not going to get very good usage of, of your vehicle. And God is the manufacturer of our lives and his... Manual is the Bible, whether we understand it or not. 
we are happy to make use of all manner of facility in our daily lives of matters that we don't understand. But when it comes to religion, oh, no, no, no. If I can't understand it, I'm not going to do it. We're happy to clog up our freeways, our roads outside, even as I'm speaking, I'm watching the cars race up and down out there. But few of us can really understand computer-operated internal combustion engines, yet we happily drive our cars. When we go on longer distances, well, of course we go on planes, but how many here can explain to me the, the laws of aerodynamics? Well, well, we just sit in the plane there and enjoy the ride and the food and so forth. But why is it then when it comes to matters of religion, if it cannot be perfectly explained to the nth degree, it is unreasonable, we will not accept this. Corrie ten Boom was a, a dear lady who in the Second World War uh, in her family home in the Netherlands, they were able to save many Jewish people by hiding them. And when the war was over, Corrie used to visit German theologians who, after the war, uh, they were living in deprived conditions and life was tough for them. And to cheer them up, whenever she visited them, she would take them a few blocks of fine Dutch chocolate. The German theologians, of course, were and are famous for endlessly dissecting and discussing all manner of minute details related to the Bible. And Corey observed that in their approach to the Scriptures, they were missing the main point. And so one day she said to them, when I bring you chocolate, you don't minutely examine the wrapping paper. You don't submit each piece of chocolate to determine through laboratory testing what its ingredients are, how it's been mixed, what factory it came from. You just eat it and enjoy it. And that it is what is like to be with the Bible. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the theologians started to change their attitudes. In matters of faith, it is never we understand and then we believe. In God's topsy-turvy, upside-down way of doing things, it is a matter of believing and then we come into the realm of understanding through the experience of faith. And so it is. Head knowledge that we have really doesn't change us that much. It's the application of the knowledge, the doing, the obeying. As we move through the circumstance of life, so understanding may come. I have a friend, a dear friend. His lifetime has been spent as a radiologist. Now, radiologists, more than any other person in the medical profession, they know all about cancer and things like that. They're the ones who identify it for the oncologist. And my friend, the radiologist, he would look at 200 x-rays a day. Then he'd type out his report and send it electronically back to the waiting doctor who would deliver the results to the patients and then they'd work out a treatment plan. When it comes to lung cancer, radiologists more than us know that one of the main causes for lung cancer is cigarette smoking. Of course, everybody knows that. And my friend, the radiologist 
for 30 or 40 years, smoked two packets of cigarettes every day. He's still alive, just. He had all the knowledge, but he never acted on it. And you're thinking, what a foolish twit he was. Well, it's not just him. I mean, it's being hammered to us through our media that obesity is our major problem in every Western country. We know what causes it. We know the dangers attached to it. We know how to fix it. But if, and I hope it never happens to you, but if you have a heart attack and you survive to where they get you to the hospital, you'll get wonderful treatment. Maybe stents will be put in or whatever has caused the heart attack. And, but before you leave the hospital... The nutritionist and other allied health professionals gather around, they give you little booklets, and they carefully explain to you how this condition which has beset you, it need never occur again if you will just change your lifestyle, change your diet, start to exercise, etc., etc. Again, the research shows that within three months of patients leaving hospital, 90% of them have reverted to their former lifestyle. The distance between the head and the heart, between the knowing and the doing, is considerable. But it is only as we do that we become changed. God's laws have to be within our hearts, not just on our lips or in our minds. We are to be doers and not just hearers of God's word. James 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says and you will be blessed. And our motive for obedience arises out of our relationship. We have been called to enjoy a relationship with God. Christianity is not a a set of rules and regulations of do's and don'ts, of rewards and punishments. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And our obedience doesn't arise from the threat of legal reprisal of God hitting us with a big stick. Our obedience flows naturally from the basis of love and it results in intimacy with Jesus. I do good things for my wife, not because I fear she will beat me up if I don't. My motivation is that I love her. And for that reason, we have never had an unresolved serious argument in our lives. If you're, fellas, if you're having difficulty with your wives, let me help you. You just have to operate two words when your wife is going. All you've got to say is, yes, dear. (laughs) This obedience thing really works. We're blessed if we obey. It may not seem like that, but with hindsight, that's certainly so. In a few weeks' time, I'll be 77 years of age, even though I look at least 40 years younger than Neil Bishop. 
And I became a Christian over in Wynnum from a non-Christian background. I was 17. And therefore, for 60 years, I have been experimenting with this matter of obedience. When I came to know God. And the first test which came early in my new life was what would I do in relationship with the opposite sex? Now, I have to be careful here because there are people in this congregation who are visiting here. Well, one is not a visitor. One's a regular attendant. I knew this lady in primary school, so she could tell all sorts of stories about me. But there's another couple visiting and... The fellow sitting over there was a school captain when I was one of the younger ones. So he knows all sorts of things about me too. But they didn't know everything. And I had to sort out how I would relate to the opposite sex. For me, of course, it was a a bit of a challenge. Because at that age, I was playing the real football, not that AF. What was that other thing you referred to? (laughs) I wasn't even playing the sort of rugby league they play today, which is namby-pamby stuff. You know, if you hit a guy around the neck, oh, you got a red card or sent off or goodness knows what. When we played the real football, you'd get a guy around the legs, pick him up and spear him into the ground. (laughs) That was real football. (laughs) And at that age, I'd already played intercity football representing Brisbane. Of course, if you're a key football player, that is very attractive, the opposite sex. And it wasn't just that. I was also a a champion athlete, and I'd like to dream I was training to represent Australia in the Olympics. And then God comes along and starts to talk with me about how I was to relate to the opposite sex. And they all look good to me, and I could pick and choose, and indeed, somewhat I did. But he made it very clear that I had to limit from now on. And I had to wait until his choice turned up. And after some years, it did. It was a frightening experience because not only is my wife here, but her big brother is here today as a visitor. He's a very frightening person indeed. But she was the one that God chose. I didn't know quite where I'd be going in life back then. But I could not have lived a life of adventure and achievement and everything that has been in life, unless God had complemented my life with Margaret. In fact, I only learned from Margaret in very recent times, she told me a secret that when she married me, she took, I guess you'd call it a holy vow, she took to herself to God that, that she would serve me in whatever way possible so that the greatest success could be mine through the gifts which God had given me to use. She would submit herself as a servant. And indeed, she has done that. But you don't, if, if someone talked of that sort of attitude out there in the world, they'd be laughed out of court. Hey, it's all about rights. And all the stuff we go on with. When we married, we took a vow based on the scriptures. I promised to love Margaret and serve her as Jesus loved and gave himself for the church. Margaret promised to obey me. 
because that's what the scripture says. Where did that word come from? I've sat in marriage arrangements these days and listened to the holy words of marriage ceremony where one, the wife, the, the young lady, will promise her beloved husband to make the sweetest brown cookies for him at least once a week. Oh, give me a break. No, no matter of obedience, we're not going to be in that. And Margaret and I have been married for 50 years. And only once, after prayer and a lot of talk, did we have something on which we still disagreed. And so it was my call. And it turned out, as Margaret would say now, yes, it was the right thing to do. But that's based upon what God's word says. And so God challenged me to move my brains nextly once he got them, my attention on, on who, how to go about finding the girl I should marry. His next challenge was I need to move my brains from my feet to my head and to leave athletics, to leave football and to start to work exclusively for him in ministry. And that meant I had to give up all that which I'd love and I hated schoolwork. I used to get about 51% and even lower for most exams. And God said, now you're going to start to use your brains for me. And so I had to go to university and theological college and so forth. And next, having done all that, then the Lord says, now I want you to leave Australia and go out to what is known today as Bangladesh and get lost in the mud and the rice fields of that place. And that was a very tough assignment. Went out there going to work amongst Muslims and in 200 years of missionary activity, you could count the number of Muslim converts on one hand. And everybody said to me, you can't do that. You're too young. You're too ignorant. You're too stupid. It's too dangerous. You could get killed. You'll, we'll lose our visas. It's impossible. Well, but that doesn't line up with what God wants to do. I love the impossible because then I'm on God's territory. And in time, God gave us the keys to unlock the doors into the Muslim's heart. It's not impossible. God loves these people as much as he loves anybody. He wants to see them saved. And he gave us the keys. And now we're doing world-beating stuff. And it's starting to go out. And the principles we, we uncovered there started to be used in other countries around the world. And then, spoil sport, God calls me back to Australia. Why would I want to go to Melbourne? I mean, you'd agree that would be about the worst place on earth, wouldn't it, Melbourne? Come on, Queenslanders. I thought of Melbourne as loaded with these, these uh, bluestone churches sinking there in the mud of the Yarra River. Loads of clergy with their funny collars. So many of them, they couldn't get a job. And who wants to... I don't want to do that. I'm out here with a couple of million Muslims living alone, having a ball. Oh, yes, of course, they want to kill you and all that, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> it took me 10 months of struggle to agree that God was in this. But consider this. If I hadn't taken those decisions of obedience today, there would be perhaps no crossway. Crossway today, about 10,000 people will attend its services. A couple of hundred thousand will follow it online. We've sent out hundreds of missionaries, all financially supported, established many other congregations. I wouldn't have gone to minister in over 90 countries. But that's the journey of obedience, which continues. 
Even though many people say to me, Stuart, you mustn't go to those dangerous places. Who cares? Got to die somewhere. So I said to a cardiologist recently, he said, we're not going to allow you to fly again. I said, well, actually, it's cheaper to die in Africa than it is in Australia. I'm going. (laughs) The safest place to be is in the centre of God's will. I don't pick and choose. I just obey as much as I can. To the mystified crowd at the wedding feast, Jesus' mother Mary, she got it right when she said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. John chapter 2, verse 5. And why not? In the year 155, Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, a town in Turkey today, and he was called before the Roman authorities and he was asked to deny, to, to accept, to submit, to acknowledge the deity of Caesar. And if he refused to do that, he could be torn apart by wild animals, crucified, or burned at the stake. Good choice. And Polycarp gave this answer. Eighty and six years have I served Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I forsake my king who saved me? And then he was burned alive at the stake. That's obedience. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it doesn't bring forth any harvest. But if it falls and dies, ah, a couple of months ago in Sudan, in the city of Darfur, a strict Muslim area, at one o'clock in the morning, Pastor Stephen who had been out working in the slums all those days, was suddenly awoken, as was his wife and their two adult daughters. The door was smashed down, and in rushed several Islamist males. We warned you to stop preaching your Christian message in this city, and you refused to listen to us. Now we have come. And so they tied him and other members of the family up. A number of things happened, but just a few of them, they, of course, raped his daughters, his wife. They said that if he would recant, his family could be saved. If he would agree to stop preaching, which he would not agree to, And so, as he watched, they then started to literally take apart his family, cutting off the limbs of his daughters and his wife. They beheaded them. And all the time, he's standing there watching and singing a well-known local Christian hymn. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then they came for him. He, of course, was cut up 
beheaded. Since that time, there was a massive funeral. Many people came to that funeral. And the pastor who came from a neighboring country preached Jesus and him crucified. And many people responded. And since that time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those people have poured into the kingdom of God because of what they saw in the life of this obedient servant. The grain of wheat falling into the ground, dying and bringing forth so much fruit. Jesus said, now you know these things. You'll be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simplicity of your teaching. We thank you for what you are doing in the toughest places of the world where men and women there willingly lay down their lives and it's having such a dramatic impact in response. We wonder why church in the West so affably comfortable is weak and declining. We have all manner of resource. But Father, in the matter of obedience to your word, to your way, to your wish, we are somewhat deficient. Help us this day, I pray, as we go from this place, that as we come to understand whatever is your word to each of us, we will obey. And the results, whether we live to see them or not, the results will be amazingly achieved through you for the encouragement of others. May this church the rock in name, become the rock in substance, the rock in example, the rock in its unstinting, unchanging obedience to the Lord of this place, in whose name we have met, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.